Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of The London Circle. Today I'll be discussing sexual and relationship education with Yusuf Patel, founder of SRE Islamic and dad to five children. He actually asked me to mention his children in the introduction. Also with Antonia Tully, a Roman Catholic mother of six and a long-term campaigner for protecting children in school from the encroachment of sexual and relationship education. Enjoy. Uh, I was filling in an online application form the other day and I came to the section where I'm asked about my gender. Um, and um, I don't think I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, reveal a huge secret about my age, but it's usually either male or female. It's either M or F. But I was staggered to find um, a list of 12 to 13 different genders and which I, I honestly... You know, if pushed, I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand. Now, I, I, I would uh, claim ignorance, but, uh, you know, I'd also claim that I was extremely frustrated. Now, this obviously is a simple matter. It's nothing. It's, it's trifling in comparison to um, where we are as a society and where we're heading as a society because where we are doesn't seem by any means at the end of the road. We are in progress towards somewhere where at least someone like myself, my family, many of my friends um, are absolutely uncomfortable with. Um, and I think that it's, it's quite important that... Um, the, the discussion about um, sex education and about the wider societal influence uh, of, um, of, of sexuality, of sexual orientation, of gender and the like um, be, be discussed. I recall many years ago when my eldest, who's now married and uh, a solicitor, um, when uh, he was, you know, I think in primary school year, year two or three, and there was the sex education or sex education was introduced um, to primary primary schools. And uh, and there was a huge discussion amongst parents uh, and, and, and not within only Muslim parents, but, but a wider um, part of society who were uncomfortable with the illustrations, with the ways in which uh, sex education was, was, was given to children. And the kind of discussions it was bringing along. Now, we've moved on a heck of a distance from that. I mean, those seem like, uh, you know, quite golden days <laughs> yeah. and uh, very, very innocent in comparison to where we are today. So if I was to, if I was to try, you know, to, to, to ask what's going on? I mean, what, what is exactly going on? I mean, whether it be on the education level, whether it be in society, whether it be in the media, what exactly is going on? So I think, I think just, to, just to start off with, I think the problem is when I speak to parents is that it's almost a wild west in terms of what schools are actually teaching. Um, schools are, a lot of the time, schools are teaching children things. Like I get calls from parents all the time saying, my child has been told that, the fact that they're male or female isn't something that is fixed, that you can be whatever you want to be. And then children start to get confused that like, this is six year old children whose sense of who they are is still developing. 
um, and a child will say, a boy will say, why can't I wear a dress? Why can't a, a why can't I do do things that I that maybe a girl can do? And they start to they start to the, the things which are which were conventionally seen to be clear cut issues that someone is born male or female is now considered to be is uncertain. You could be you could be a male, you could be a female. I was reading a book. I was reading a book actually the other day, and it said when children are born. Um, the doctor guesses whether they're male or female, and then a child then decides later on whether they are male or female. So some, a biological reality is considered to be something which is uncertain, but a feeling that I have about who I think I am is considered certain. So it's like a topsy-turvy world. And so parents are uncertain as to how they can challenge this. And sometimes the fear is, if I challenge this, will I be considered homophobic or transphobic? Or how do I address this in a manner which makes me seem like quote unquote normal or just an, a, a normal parent who has questions which will not be labeled as homophobic or transphobic i i i mean i i've just remembered something that happened a few weeks ago i was picking up my my, my girls from primary school and um, a child was um, was was petting a dog um that was tied to the to the to, to the barriers and um, he it was it was quite funny because he said, oh, is it a he or a she? <laughs> and then he looked at his friends and he said, or, or is it something else? Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's gotten to the absurd, don't you think? It, I think it has. And I think it's always useful to try and look back and see where have these ideas come from. Now, I would date this current... Um, confusion and this sort of push on transgender and am I male, am I female, and really the whole push to get LBGT teaching in schools, I would pinpoint that to 2013. And that was when same-sex marriage was legalized. And both Yusuf and I were very concerned about that at the time. We campaigned uh, for many, many months. We spoke to thousands of parents because we knew that legalizing same-sex marriage was not just about allowing homosexuals, lesbians to get married because very few of them do. And in fact, looking at the latest figures, uh, married, uh, marriages of all types are in decline, including same-sex marriages. But what that uh, legislation did, and we said this at the time, it's a green light for getting into schools. It's a green light for introducing this idea, be it ever so subtly, that um, uh, there are all sorts of families, the same love, but all sorts of different families. So it came in with these programs that were sort of literacy-based, lots of different storybooks, all produced to a very high standard, you know, king and king um, and you know princess boy the little boy who wants to um, wants to be a girl and his lovely princess dress and the little boy who dreams of a thousand having a thousand dresses this is where all these ideas are percolating in and um, and I don't think it was any surprise to us anyway who've been very concerned about this for many years that by so that was 2013 by 2017 the government introduces a new compulsory school subject relationships education and so that uh, every child has got to be taught that and when you look at the guidance the fact that this happens under a conservative government is 
Well, I, astounding, I, the, the, don't you think? Do you know, I think this is almost beyond politics. There's ideologies at play here. I don't know what you think, Yusuf, but I think, I mean, it is astounding under a Tory government, but... Um, I think there's all sorts of ideologies at play there. But, you know, they've made this compulsory school subject. Um, and um, and at the time, I can remember um, a Christian MP standing on the floor of the House of Commons saying this is a state takeover bid for parenting. Because basically the state has moved in to the rightful domain of parents. It's our job as parents to talk to our children about relationships in line with our own cultural, uh, religious uh, values. It is not the job of the state. And I mean, Yusuf and I have been, you know, and how many thousand parents we've spoken to, and this has been, you know, um, you know, one of our messages uh, to parents. So where do we stand legally? What's the legal position? Because I've recently heard um, several ministers um, probably even the, the Home Secretary herself coming out and saying, well, it's not compulsory. Um, it's not obligatory upon schools to teach. It's, it's fine if parents saw best if they withdrew their children from those schools. But that sort of didn't clarify things. I mean, the words are clear enough, but it didn't clarify things in terms of reality, in terms of on the ground, because we're seeing every single day incidents whereby even children are accused that the parents are hauled into the head teacher's office being told that their child is homophobic yeah yeah I or anti-trans yeah. I, I, I think the problem is is that you know in schools the everybody has to uh, abide by what they call the rse guidance document and that guidance document when it was written was very um, ambiguous, confusing. It, on the one hand, it says that uh, schools are encouraged to talk about LGBT relationships, but on the other hand, and government has to come and say, actually, there's, there's no requirement for, for primary schools to talk about LGBT relationships. But the fact that you have to provide a clarification means that the original guidance is is unclear. And I think all of us argued at the time that this guidance is just not fit for purpose. Yeah, and everybody absolutely. everybody argued that no, actually, it is. So on the one hand, for example, in a primary school, there is no required that the 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 line that that um, separates between what is considered relationship education and sex education is very blurred. So, for example, I know a school. I got a call from a parent just this week to say, "Look, my school is going to teach year five pupils about masturbation under relationship education because they see that it's a discussion that fits under puberty." Now, how does that fit under puberty? This is actually overt sexual behaviour that should be in sex education classes, and in a primary school. Parents can withdraw from sex education, but they can't withdraw from relationship education. So if a school decides to teach statutory elements, uh, non-statutory elements in statutory subjects, then parents don't have the right to withdraw from that. Um, what, one thing that schools are doing is saying to children in year, five, year one or year two that these are the names of your sexual body parts. And this is under what they call safeguarding, um, saving them from abuse, which is really not uh, 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 getting children to start to name their sexual body parts at that age is too too is too is 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 too much too soon, um, and there's no overt requirement in the in the current uh, uh, relationship education requirements that uh, that mandate that, but schools are interpreting that to be a requirement. I I was one school and I, I got a call from a parent a few weeks ago. 
you know, one thing that the government did, and it said it did it for a, a, a good purpose. They said, we are saying that this should be taught by the end of primary school and about this should be taught by the end of secondary school. But we're not going to say this should be taught in year one, year two or year three. There's a, there's lots of schools that are teaching uh, bought resources, and these bought resources are from companies which which uh, which concretize what is required in year one, year two, year three, and it takes away the right of parents to raise to to feed back into when they think it's appropriate for these to be taught to their children. So what some schools are doing is in year year two for six year old children. They are talking about gender stereotypes. And we think, okay, gender stereotypes, some boys don't like blue, some girls don't like pink. And then they're attaching to that a discussion about transgenderism. And that's in the jigsaw resources. There's no requirement to cover transgenderism in relationship education, but they're, 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 they're attaching um, onto statutory requirements to talk about gender stereotypes. They're attaching a discussion about uh, transgenderism and confusing children. And so parents can't withdraw from that. So it's it's a it's a complete mess, and in the absence of of the government actually admitting that and trying to rectify the situation, parents have to fight individual battles in schools. So so, uh, where do parents go in order? I mean, it seems that from what you're saying, that legislation allows for some space for parents to intervene and say, "We want this. We don't want this." But in actual fact, where do parents go to? Who do they go to? Do they go to the head teacher? Do they go to the teacher? Do they go to the council? I mean, where do they go to? Well, I think this whole area of where parents fit into this, and I mean, you know, predating the current uh, relationships education, um, uh, you know, we could see very early on that parents uh, were being pushed out. And that, you know, that I think we've really got to understand what are the messages that are coming from the state? The messages are parents can't be trusted to teach their children about these issues. So we've the schools have got to do it. Parents are going to teach their children the wrong things. Shock horror. Parents might teach their children. Actually, the best design is a mom and a dad and their children, you know, all together. So. All of these things are creating confusion. Now, the current guidance, statutory guidance on RSE, um, it's it's very sly because there is a section where it's saying, you know, parents must be consulted, schools must show parents the resources. But when push comes to shove and a parent actually asks for the resources, no, no, no. It's, you know, they, they use the word school should give examples so schools are not going to give the examples of that they know are going to shock, uh, going to shock the parents. So I think parents are really in a in in a very difficult situation. But I do also want to make the point that I think parents need to wake up. I think there are a lot of parents who just need to wake up about this situation because, you know, they're confronted with something dreadful and they're shocked. But there are loads you know, hundreds, thousands of parents just sleepwalking through this because it's all kept slightly below the radar. And you can imagine, you know, average sort of family, both mum and dad are working, they're busy. Um, and, you know, keeping track of all of these things in their children's life is difficult. You get these um, innocuous sounding messages coming from the school, and we've read plenty of those, haven't we? <laughs> um, you know, we, we talked about friendship and, and, you know, being kind to each other. But wrapped up in all of that 
are some uh, pretty horrific things. And, you know, let's be clear. I mean, you know, one of the, this has been going on for a couple of decades now. I mean, I was just looking up that program, Living and Growing, which we campaigned so vociferously about, um, which was all about, you know, teaching children body parts. And I mean, parts of it are positively pornographic, you know, cartoon uh, depictions of um, a couple having sexual intercourse, I mean, really damaging to small children. Uh, so this has been going on for a long time. And, you know, it, there are some parents who are alive to it, but a lot of parents aren't. So I, if nothing else, and any parent listening to this now, please go to your child's school and find out exactly what's going on. But the government has really got to start listening to parents because those are weaselly words in that um, guidance, I would say. That, that's absolutely fine and proper to, 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 to tell or inform parents that they have rights um, uh, to as much as they could. Uh, protect their children from from such material. But the thing is that, um, as we all know, um, uh, school children have a community of their own. So even if I manage to somehow shield my daughters at their early age from this, um, they have friends who are attending those classes and they're going to have discussions in the playground. They're going to have chats you know when they have sleepovers they're gonna have and and you know it's the the, the information that the, the children who attended um, isn't going to be on point it's going to be you know mud, muddied by the child's own confusion and the such so it makes things probably even worse i think there's a couple of issues one one issue that that, that a thought came to my mind is once i had a discussion with school because one of the things that they were always saying to parents was that you know if your children don't attend these classes they'll hear secondhand messages from children in the classroom All and then the which is correct but the question is then how 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 good then is the education you're teaching children if you're your mess, the messages you claim are so vital for children to understand are not getting through and they're understanding something different from what you're saying. How vital is that? But secondly, it's a really important point that um, our children are not just hearing um, these messages in schools, but we live in a hypersexualized society where unfortunately children are getting sexualized messages through TV programs, through marketing, through social media, through their, 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 their peer groups um, around them. And so I think to, uh, parents, we, the messages I send to parents is that we have rights. We've got to push back against these things in schools. But we have to have these discussions with our children because otherwise Absolutely. otherwise the, the norms that they're presented with either in schools or around them are going to be consolidated if we don't interrupt that process with them. So we need to have those open discussions with children. So we, so in, in, and Tony does this. I do this. We, we support parents in having these conversations with their children. Uh, because it's not just about saying we just want to withdraw our children from society, but recognize the impact, the profound impact these values are having upon our children's attitudes and behaviors towards sex relationships and even LGBT um, uh, normalization. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I have to say that I've heard I've lost count of how many times I've heard parents saying to me, oh, well, the head teacher says if you don't let your children come to these sex education classes, they're going to hear it in the playground. And my response is no. It is two completely different things from a child who's basically trapped in their school classroom, listening to the teacher. They're in learning mode. There's their teacher talking to them. They can't go anywhere. 
Um, and they've got they've just got to look at what's in front of them. That's quite different from children running around the playground, hearing this, hearing that. And I always say to parents, you can just say to your if somebody starts talking about that sort of thing, you know, just run away. Mummy and Daddy are going to talk to you about this. And that's what I said to my children when they were at primary school. You know, you hear something, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, something you think is a bit rude or you think, because children sense, you know, when something's a bit uncomfortable. You don't have to listen to that. Um, that's, a, that's a valid point. But, but let me take you somewhere else. Uh, I first became aware of um, the, um, the expanse and the impact of the LGBTQ and trans lobbies. Um, when JK Rowling, uh, when she tweeted about, you know, the person who men menstruates yeah. and she said, do you mean a woman? And she came in for, yeah. for something that I have seldom seen in terms of a, a, a storm, a real Twitter storm that absolutely maligned her. I mean, the, the impact on her, I mean, I, she's not going to go in into into poverty, but but she you know her reputation has been slandered. <laughs> uh, she lost many of her honorary degrees. Many associations with universities and colleges and libraries and the such were were disbanded. So this showed me that this is something quite serious. Now, I you know I I'd, I'd, I'd like to understand what these lobbies, what these campaigns look like, but also. What are we talking about here? Are we talking about an issue that is related to politics? Is it a political issue? Is it ideological? Is it religious? Is it about religion and faith and the such? Um, or, or is it about economics? Is it about liberalism and market economics? What is it about? You know, I think one of the problems is, and I, when I speak to parents about it, I said, look, when society became untethered from any religion to to almost uh, uh, to prevent to to almost give people a sense of anchoring around what we believe, it became a free for all. Yeah, when liberalism started to become the new religion in society, then anything's possible. Yeah, you can be the, the, the idea is you can be whoever you want to be, you can do whatever you want to do, and the state should almost facilitate that for you. And so, inevitably, what we've got, we've got a whole lot of lobbies looking to carve out their rights. And, but nobody's overseeing what's the overall impact on society, good or bad, of these decisions. So government would say, okay, we're going to allow same-sex marriage. We're going to allow you to identify with whatever you want to be. We're going to allow you to put X on your passport. We're going to allow, when questions are asked, to uh, ask you about what gender you identify as. We're going to allow you to be whatever you want to be. But what is the wider impact on society of those decisions? And there's no, there's no department in government which says, okay, what's the overall impact of all these changes on society? And so we've got a really a confused society untethered from reality and untethered from anything which anchors it to uh, some positions of certainty that we once had. Now you could say uh, in the past there were problems in society, but at least people knew what they believed in. People knew, you know, you got uh, this, there's this, this guy who goes out on the street on YouTube and he says to people, what's a woman? And we think yeah, yeah, we I've think that's that. yeah. we think that's a question that that even a five year old can answer, and people are saying um, that's a difficult question to answer. And I remember one person, one one of the person, one of the people who was on on the other end of that that question was going to answer, and his friend said, "No, no, don't answer that question. It's almost as if like if you answer that question, you're going to be in trouble." Yeah, 
And so rightly there are women in society who are saying, look, we are even even we, we are being pushed out of our own spaces by men who identify as women. And so there's a big conflict now within society around this this very simple question. But I but I really think as as parents we need to recognise that uh, what, one of the problems is is that there's a fear sometimes to discuss these issues yeah. um, because for example the trans lobby is is unrelenting it's it's unrelenting in it's uh, if you say something which goes against their sexual orthodoxy or their gender orthodoxy you're going to be cancelled and and you know there was this there was this woman recently this woman comedian uh, a Muslim woman who, um, who 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 tried to expose this man in America who was saying to children come and speak to me I'll be your family. Yeah. And and she and she, she was doxxed. Her, her her address was put on the internet. Her car was vandalized. And in the end, she took down those videos. She said, oh, "I'm not going to do this anymore." And that's what they expect. They want to induce fear in people uh, because what they believe is the truth is the truth, and you can't argue against our truth. Um, but I think what we need to say is these are our children. Um, we need to discuss this with our children. We we're not we're not here to say we're not he we're not here to campaign to almost criminalize LGBTQ lifestyles. Okay, that that's not our objective. But these are our children. Um, we can have these conversations with them. We can talk to them about what we believe to be uh, acceptable and unacceptable behavior. Um, and 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 even and, and so that's what we tell parents to do: have these frank conversations with their children and push back against some of these agendas that are encroaching upon our ability to raise our children how we want yeah and I, I think there's you know some one of the things I say to parents is you know we are living this apps I mean untethered from religion I mean it's untethered from biology for heaven's sake <laughs> you know um but you know you it, it's a it's a tough being a parent today but you know one, one one of the things is you've got to build up the culture in your family so that it's stronger than the culture out there. So you as a parent, um, their compass is pointing towards you. And, you know, you start from the word go with children. And it's not about having conversations about um, sex, you know, when they're babies or anything like that. It's about modeling good family life. It's about, you know, children watch their parents like hawks. How are mum and dad behaving? You know, what do they think's right? What do they think's wrong? And, you know, children absorb this almost by osmosis. Um, and I think, you know, because I do think very, uh, very much that we have got a, a, a crisis of parenting. You know, parents, you know, are bewildered. Where do I go? What do I do? Or maybe it's a good thing that my child's learning this at school. And they've sort of, you know, so a, a lot of the uh, talks that I give uh, now are, you know, saying to parents, be confident as a parent. You know, this is your child. Um, and get in the driving seat of your child's life. I mean, years ago when my husband and I ran a parenting course at our daughter's school, well, that was something that really jumped out at us, that we had parents who were just sort of running along behind their children. Um, whereas, you know, you, you just, it's not about sort of beating things into your children. It's about modeling a really positive um, lifestyle of marriage, of the beauty of the family, um, 
and you know all the sort of virtues we want to communicate to to our children. But you, you, see, you know, I, I absolutely agree with you both that you know kids, our children, are paramount, and they they occupy number one spot in our priority list. But I I would also like to venture that that I as a citizen, as part of this society. Uh, you know, I can also be offended by by what I see as being wrong, as being probably indecent, probably. And I speak here, you know, on behalf of many people out there who have been coward and silenced because of the kind of campaign that's out there. But But what I mean is that this isn't only an education school issue. This is something about society. Uh, am I wrong? No, absolutely. I think to, just to pick back on what Antonio mentioned, I think it's really important to emphasize and, uh, that, you know, if we don't raise our children, the society will, because inevitably children are raised by somebody. They're raised by you or they're raised by society. And so the, 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 the choice be, that parents have in front of them is either you raise them or society will raise them. Yeah. And I really believe that, you know, it, it is chaos. The society around us is chaos. And and our biggest asset as parents is our family at the moment. That's the only thing we should really rely upon. Don't rely upon any other structures in society, government, companies, all of these things. I think sometimes parents place too much emphasis on these outside influences and they don't leverage the power that we have as families to raise our children. As an institution, That you know, our children go out into this chaotic world, they'll come back. And family is the place where they'll find that structure, that love, that acceptance. And I think, you know, just a few years ago, there was this thing called a good childhood guide. And it looked, it was a, it was a secular attempt to look at what good parenting looks like. And it said something very universal. It said the two, the, the two ingredients that we looked at in all of our research that provide the best start in life for children is love and clear boundaries. And actually, that is something we could all get behind. Today, children are told that there are no boundaries. No, there's no concept of good and bad, right and wrong. Right and wrong changes from time to time. Um, you define what you think is good and bad, right and wrong. And that causes children to, children don't need some clear boundaries to work around in terms of what is acceptable and not. What is good and bad? What is good and bad behavior even? Um, and they need love. Um, but I think, yeah, it is a societal problem. There is an issue in society and we can't deal with every aspect of the challenges in society, but we can deal with the challenges that uh, present themselves in the home. Uh, you know what you said just uh, just a few minutes ago, you mentioned something quite interesting, which I, I've, I've noticed over the course of the past, I would suggest two to three decades. And that is that, um, you know, when we talk about freedom, now, freedom, I believe, is an essential need of every single human being. But there is or there seems to have been um, a different take on the objective of freedom. Now, I look at freedom as a need so that I can um, I can contribute towards society. I can, uh, you know, express my views. I can build. I can, you know, be a positive part of but apparently there is also um, a tide or a, a, let's say a section, a wide section of society um, that believes that freedom is for freedom itself. And that is the objective. The objective is freedom. And whatever it takes, wherever it takes you and whatever the cost, then freedom be it. And therefore we have ended up with 
as you sort of described in different words, but sort of a rampant out of control freedom, whereby if I desire something, yeah. I have to have it. And not only do I have to have it, but everyone needs to clap me and encourage me and, and help me and facilitate that I get that freedom regardless of what it is. And that's problematic. And I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm trying to get to a point here. I, because of either preparing for this, uh, this, this, this episode or because of, you know, interest as a parent, as a member of society, um, it's, uh, it staggered me how closely knit the, uh, LGBT and trans is to pedophilia. And that is something that comes up time and time and time again. And we even have one of the most renowned LGBT activists for, you know, in, in, in living memory, probably, who has actually written pen, you know, pen to paper and published in a newspaper how he justifies the act of an adult having, you know, intercourse with a child since it's consenting. Now, I, I, I you know, I loathe to, 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 to leap uh, in the future, but is it that we are heading towards something akin to that. I was reading a story that in one of the Scandinavian countries the other day, um, a court granted the right for someone to marry a, a horse, I believe. And, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it, it gets, you know, you, you, you think about it and you, you might laugh, but it's no laughing matter. This is serious. This is about where society is heading. Yeah. I mean, it's the logical conclusion of I'm the center of my world. I'm going to do absolutely everything I want. I can have no constraints, but actually that's a false freedom. It's illusory because... It's enslaving to, to your whims and desires. Absolutely. You're, put, you're putting yourself into, into slavery. But I think, you know, th the problem is, and, and this is where it's really um, uh, wicked in a way, that so much of this is being played out on children. And um, although um, you know, parents might say, oh, this sort of thing, you know, my child's nowhere near this. Yeah. You know, we just have a few little books in the school about same-sex families. That's all it is. But that's not all it is. Because, you know, these children are being brought up to think that um, there's absolutely no difference between a mummy and a mummy, a daddy and a daddy, and a mummy and a daddy. And there is a huge difference and I've been shouted down on programs you know come off it Antonia you know you're you know you're making too much of this but I, I don't think I am I think you know it's it's sort of insidious um, and yeah and I think you know you ask the question you know is this political is it social you know what's going on here I think there is an ideology out there which is um, focused on the destruction of the family. I think it's the destruction of the family. So you confuse people about their, whether they're male or female. We've got skyrocketing uh, divorce rates. We've got the highest abortion figures and the last uh, figures that came out since 1967 when abortion was uh, legalized. Um, you know, it's we're on, we're in a bit of a meltdown. Where, where, I would say. What let's let's uh, let's focus on something else. Yeah. Um, religious institutions. I mean, the issue of sex 
is addressed by virtually every single religion, yeah. every single faith out there, yeah. whether in terms of confining it or whether in terms of opening up the, the, the borders and, and, and restraints. Um, you, you're a Catholic, Antonia. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Muslim. Yusuf, you're a Muslim. Um, what is the role of religious institutions in, um, in let's say, guide, guiding this 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 discourse that's that, that's uh, that's out there um i think they have uh, a you know a preeminent <laughs> position i think you know uh, you know we need leadership in uh, you know in, in 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 society and i think uh, religious leaders of every uh you know uh, religion need to be giving a strong moral lead to their own flock if you like and to and to everybody else um and you know there's there's obviously lots of differences between religious faiths but there you know i think the family is a common denominator and that's really what brought yusuf and i together over 10 years ago and i'm sure that if we had a jew a jew a jew or a jewish rabbi i'm pretty sure that they would be saying precisely the same as we are yeah yeah, so I think I think the problem is is that society has thrown away traditional institutions that have worked, and uh, they've thrown them out, they've thrown the baby out of the bathwater. So, the, you know, families are much maligned, marriage is much maligned, and marriage is is actually the bedrock of any stable society. We see, you know, I was speaking to my wife about this, and she she says to me, look, you know, uh, especially men, men need marriage, yeah, <laughs> to to you know, there's, you have all these young people. Yeah, who have got no responsibility, who just live a life of of, of hedonism, really, and they are wreaking havoc in society. Um, you need you need marriage. Bring marriage brings a man and woman together in a way which brings some stability, um, some sense of anchoring. And unfortunately, society has 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 done away with marriage as a as a as, a, as acceptable paradigm for for pe for pe for relationships. So almost sexual relationships have become an, an end in themselves rather than a, a means to an end within a loving relationship. And I think one thing that religious institutions have to do is make the case for marriage. Uh, because marriage is something which you look at TV programs, even TV programs from children. I remember my children watching a program on TV, a children's program, and my wife was watching with them. And she observed that, look, every all, all the families in this, 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 this TV program aimed at young children they're all single parent families. There's no, there's, there was, I think there was one married couple in that whole, that whole mix, uh, which gives the impression that, 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 that marriage is the exception. A marital relationship between a man and woman is the exception rather than uh, the rule. Um, and I think we've got to push against that. And I think going back to your previous point, I think it's really important to emphasize that what we have is we have, we have a rights-based society which 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 really almost deifies individualism, and we 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 issue any idea of responsibility, so rights as opposed to responsibility, and where we and that that comes against an idea of materialism. That materialism has become the the latest deity for society. So materialistic aims are the be all and end all. So sometimes you know sometimes as families we say that um you know we need like both parents need to be going out and working now that's a decision for each family to take but the reality is what is the impact on the child um as a result of that um who is raising the child who we we, we, we we've got this strange situation where government says everybody should be working and then we employ people to raise our children 
um, which is which is mind-boggling. And in the latest budget, I think it's seventeen million or billion pounds for childcare. It's like the government is you know, is doing everything to separate mothers from their babies. And nobody's asking the question, is it good for the babies? Is it good for the children? What's the evidence? Well, actually, there isn't any. You know, children need to be with their mums, certainly, you know, preschool. And, you know, it's such a shame because, you know, the first years of your child's life are so precious. You're never going to see your baby aged 18 months. If you're there when they, they take the, not there when they take their first step, say their first word. Um, but, you know, society is making it very difficult for mothers to stay at home. It's making it very difficult for people to, it's not modeling marriage at all, as you say. Um, but I mean, besides, I mean, that's a that's a very very good point. But um, the the issue is that we the thing about religion is that it's 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 a fixture, it's constant, or at least that's the way it should be. So when you find heads of religious institutions across the board, sort of giving in to the pressure that is piled on them. Um, all of a sudden, religion doesn't become a fixture anymore. It doesn't become a constant. And unfortunately, I mean, this is some... I take immense comfort when, for instance, the Jewish community stands strong against, you know, the encroachment of LGBT and trans and such, you know, within the school... Yeah, the, the, everybody the school. benefits, and yeah. I, I take great comfort from that. And, and that's something that I welcome because faith needs to be constant. It's, it's something that isn't according to culture. It doesn't move the way that, uh, you know, terms and, uh, uh, terms and conditions of Twitter, for instance, change every single day. Um, so surely, I mean, when, for instance, the Church of England, when the, the Archbishop of Canterbury, when, when, when he comes out and, uh, and all of a sudden he's, uh, he, it's clear. I, I don't know, but, but when, I, when, I, when I look at that clip, it's clear to me that the guy is under pressure and he's playing politics. He's not, he's not, he ceases to be the head of the, the, the Church of England. He is now someone who is going along with a political narrative and discourse. But that's problematic for everyone. Unfortunately, Church of England has always been around ref reflecting current trends, unfortunately. It, it's a state-established church, isn't it? So it has always been there to... You know, it's, when, I, when you hear, sometimes you hear uh, Bishop speak or, or the Archbishop of Canterbury speak, um, you sometimes almost get the impression that rather than the, uh, the Church of England church being there to, um, to guide people, it's almost as if they're being led by people and guided by people. So, you know, it's almost as if, you know, it's the, the only reason why the Church of England is not going to allow the blessing of same-sex unions in churches is because of the fear that the African church will move away from the Church of England. And if that's the only reason, if there's no moral reason, if there's no, uh, we should be guided by what God has revealed to us, then there's a real problem with what the church stands for. Absolutely. And you've taken the words out of my mouth, actually, Yusuf. You know, you've got to go back to the source. What is God teaching us? What are, you know, what, what, what is my church teaching me? You know, go back to the source documents because people come and go, but God 
is always there, as, as we know. And um, certainly in the Roman Catholic Church, you know, we believe that the, the deposit of Christian faith is in the Roman Catholic Church, and that does not change. The Catholic Church is not a democracy. It's not what people think or what people want. It was the truth that is there, and the truth doesn't change. Um, Why is it so problematic to say that uh, sex outside of marriage is, is wrong? Why is it such a problem? Why is it so difficult? I have to say, I even hesitated for a second there before I actually said the words. Well, I can give you two words, the contraceptive pill, three, the contraceptive pill. That is, if you like, the beginning of the, of the end because it separated the unitive and the procreative uh, aspects of sex where they should be together. Um, that, you know, what is the purpose of marriage is for the mutual support of the of the spouses and the procreation of children. Once you can have lots and lots of sex with no repercussions, no babies, it devalues the whole thing. And what's very interesting is that there are now people starting to say this. Um, there's a very interesting book just out um, by a woman called Mary Harrington, you've come across her and you know she was a lesbian living in a lesbian relationship and now she says she has found peace as a married woman and had a daughter and um she's a very very bright lady um she's a writer um and she's written this book that's just come out feminism against, feminism against progress and she goes back and she pinpoints the contraceptive pill as a, a problem as a problem now you know everybody conducts their own life accordingly but if you want to think well where does this start from it's because we we interfered with nature <laughs> I'm afraid to say in a very very profound way um, and I think maybe society in certain sectors are starting to well look at this and let's think well you know, maybe this is something worthy of a little bit of discussion, a little bit of thought. What has this uh, has this done to us? And particularly, what has it done to women? And what the message coming out from some of the uh, some uh, people like Mary Harrington, Louise Perry, is that actually marriage is good for women. Um, it you know, serves women's interests best. You are safest, most secure, and actually. Um, you're most liberated as a woman. I'm sure your wife will probably think, you know, the, the freedom that you have as a mother, the fulfillment that you have as a mother, um, you know, it's um, you, you're getting much more freedom within the happiness of marriage than floating around on some sort of sexual roundabout. Is this at all, is this at all conceivable that um, either... Um, uh, Muslim organizations, mosques, Islamic centers, uh, think tanks that are within the Muslim community, uh, within uh, the, you know, the, the Catholic or, or general Christian, Christian uh, community, that, that uh, there could be um, an alternative curriculum for children on sex education, on relationships and the such. Is is that something that's yeah. happening? I, I, yeah, I, th I think first of all, going back to a previous point, I think the point is when you say, for example, to somebody that uh, having relationships outside of marriage uh, is a, a sin, 
You know, a lot of people, even some Muslims will say, oh, that's being judgmental because this is the current, this, this is the view of almost liberalism allows you to just live your life according to your desires and nobody should be judgmental, nobody should tell you what is right and wrong, even God. You know, we're, we're freed of responsibilities, free of any, any, anybody telling us how we should live our lives, even though essentially those people who live their life in that way are not doing that in a vacuum. They're being led by choices from people around them who say you should yeah. live this life. But I think but your point is right. I think we do need to provide almost alternatives. I've, I, I'm, I'm working on actually a, a Makta program, a curriculum for children in Makatib who, um, who, who, who are at the, who are facing this issue in schools. Cause I, I, I speak to people and, and the maktab system is like children after school, they go in and learn the Quran. And I, I, I get calls from teachers in those institutions all the time who say children are coming in and they're, they're really confused about what we believe. And, and so definitely there is a need for there to be leadership on this. And I think as a community, sometimes we also shy away from saying things because we almost feel like as a the Catholic community has been around for a long time, but the Muslim community is quite a, quite a recent newcomer to this country, and there's still a, a perception amongst Muslims that we can't say this. This is not our country. This is not we can't we can't speak about these issues. We can't almost try and create change around these issues because what it, that's not our place. But we, as citizens of this country, as people who are equal citizens, we have the absolute right to, just as anybody else, to try and um, to try and move the direction of society in a particular way. We should also want to contribute positively to society and say, if we believe marriage is important, if we believe all of these institutions are good for society, we should not feel uh, reticent about about uh, about. Uh, making the case for that in society where everybody else is saying this is what this is our vision for society we should also want the best for society but i think definitely sometimes muslim even muslim institutions are fearful of raising these issues and that's changing more and more but there's uh, one, lots of our main organizations don't want to touch these issues because of the fear of the backlash that will ensue if they ever if they threw themselves into a discussion about these issues. You're absolutely right. I, I mean, I know personally, I know um, a number of, I'd say, about four or five um, uh, khatibs, uh, people who deliver the Friday sermon um, across the country who have told me outright that they um you know want to speak about this issue but they can't and if they do then it's like from a six foot uh, uh stick away you know like yeah i mean we need to stick to morality and, and decency and the such but not go into specifics because they they will find that uh, either their own congregation, one or two people will 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 speak up, or that what whatever they say will be taken further, and they'll they'll be in problems. And and they all said the same thing. They said we fear that our mosques will be shut down. Yeah, and, that, and that, actually, that fear is crippling. That fear is often unfounded. Um, because you know, I remember I spoke to an Imam once. It was really interesting. He said, look, "I want to speak about this issue. What 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 do you advise?" And I said, "Look, as long as you don't call against people, you don't say I'm calling. You don't uh, incite. Uh, yeah, you don't. Even even if you say hate against people or discrimination against people, you're just uh, you're almost discussing the idea. Yeah, within the religious context, you have absolute every right to do so. And he said, "Oh yeah, there's that the police are going to have a stall outside after, so they're going to be there." And I said, and and he gave he gave he gave the talk in the, uh, exactly as he wanted. There were no problems. The world didn't end. The, the mosque wasn't shut down. Sometimes the fear debilitates us and the fear is unfounded. Um, 
I remember once I helped some parents with some an issue in school uh, because you know it, that what was happening in school was that um, uh, the school had started what was called an equalities club and uh, and said look this were all equalities but there was a couple of teachers who hijacked it and started just to, it became an LGBT club in disguise. We got the parent the parents started complaining to me. I supported the parents to try and raise issues about it and the school apologized. They closed the club. They realized they'd done wrong. Um, and then the school reported me for hate crime to the police. <laughs> so I got a call from the police officer to say, look, this this has been raised against you. I've investigated it and I can see no grounds for for this investigation going any further. I've seen your videos and I can see that you're not inciting any hatred. You're not doing anything illegal. Um, and I think sometimes uh, when I speak to people, they think look, the worst is going to happen. But if me, sometimes the things I say, people say, oh, don't say those things. I've never been in trouble um, for anything I've said. And I think sometimes we just got to be, we got to say to ourselves, okay, what is, if we remain silent, then what is the impact upon our community, upon our children, on our families if we do? Yeah, that we're almost saying to the LGBT community, you can raise our children as you wish. Yeah, we're allowing them to monopolize the space and uh, and and to influence our children and so what is what is the what is the what what would the outcome for us as a community if we don't respond i think that's i think that's what we got to balance against and we need to look at the media i mean we all consume the media every single day whether it be through social media whether it be through the mainstream media and uh, it seems that uh, today as the old ricky gervais uh, uh, joke in one of the episodes of extras I remember well uh, talking about um, uh, someone who had uh, won um, a prize, an, uh, uh, either an Oscars or something, and uh, he said that, well, she ticked all the boxes. You know, she ticked the box of being a Holocaust survivor, of being disabled, of being uh, uh, gay, of being a... So she... And, and back then, that joke was very, very funny. It was... But now you can't even imagine that being that being said. But the reality is, unfortunately, today, um, even when you're, you know, you're you're sort of uh, proposing a certain program or episode or show or whatever, this needs to be part and parcel. I mean, producers today are pushed to the extent that they won't look at stuff or material that's proposed to them that doesn't have elements of. Uh, you know, single mums, for instance, or, uh, or gays or lesbians, or probably today even even trans. And it's, uh, you know, the state of the media is equally as Yes. Prominent. I mean, the thing is, I think in the 2021 census, 1.5% of people identified as lesbian or gay um, and a certain number of trans or whatever. And about 7% said that didn't answer the question, leaving nearly 90% of the population of this country is heterosexual. And yet to turn on the television, you think that it was the other way around. Um, so let's get it in proportion here. And, you know, there is a very tiny minority that's driving this agenda. And, you know, we are in the majority. Um, and I think you're and right. The thing, to, and the thing that you, I mean, you both spoke about at length, is the issue of children. And uh, I, I, I doubt that there is anyone out there who would dispute the fact that uh, abiding by or sticking with the, the interests that serve the best for children is, is a noble cause, regardless of what it is. Yeah.
Yeah. We've got to keep looking at the children. You're quite right. What's happening in schools? What is what's impacting on families? Because it's the children who suffer. And that's why we're we're in this campaign. And it's not about, you know, disliking other people. We might dislike the things they do or their lifestyle, but it's not the people. But, you know, we've got to uh, we've got to do what's best for our children. And and I think one thing I want to say is that, you know, the, the, the issue is, is that they they say they say in society everything about you can change yeah they say you if you if you're if you're if you support a particular football team you can support another one if you're a muslim you you can leave islam you can, if you're religious you can leave that religion but the one thing they say you can't change is you can't change from a same sex attraction to a non same sex attraction um, that's why they're pushing this idea of conversion therapy that if somebody says they have a same sex attraction and they want to they they don't they, they want to be supported out of that there's no way that that can possibly happen because it's a fixed part of who you are even though there's no basis for that and i think that's one of the things we need to really deal with as a as, as a society to say what is it about this same-sex attraction that is so fi a fi fixed part of who you are that can't change uh, and it's an orthodoxy that has no basis in reality biology or anything else and um, that's that's, an, that's probably that's discussion for another time i think probably thank you very much